And welcome back to another episode of Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, my name's Hub, and I hope you're having a fine whenever the heck it is you end up listening to this. Me? I'm doing okay. The news has been particularly unsettling lately, as you've likely noticed. And so I've been distracting myself, the way a lot of people that I know have been, by engaging in the great American pastime. Now, I'm not talking about baseball. I mean, fantasizing about life in a romanticized version of Canada, where the healthcare is free and the streets run amber with grade B maple syrup. Now, as I said, this is an idealized version of Canada, not actual Canada, which I'm well aware has its fair share of problems, but it's been a fine way to distract myself. But even in my fantasies, I know that life in America's chimney would take some adjusting to. For one thing, Hostess Ding Dongs there are called Hostess King Dongs. Which leads me to believe that at some point, someone in Hostess Canada's head office was like, well, we can't call these things ding-dongs, because that sounds too much like it means a dick. Which is fair. And then somebody else decided that the part of the word that was the problem was the word ding. So they replaced that with king, which just makes it sound like a bigger dick. Oh, Canada. The other brand name product that I was thinking of that I know has a different name is that Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, because it doesn't contain any actual cheese, can't be called Kraft Macaroni and Cheese in Canada, so it's called Kraft Dinner. And I've known that for quite some time, but it never really sunk in that the brand is Kraft, So, presumably the knockoff brands of this product, which are the ones that I grew up having to eat because we were poor, are just called dinner. Which makes it seem like Canada is being run by the prop master from Repo Man. Just cans just labeled with the word beer, and boxes labeled with the word snacks everywhere you go. What are we having for lunch? I just thought I'd pick up a box of lunch, eh? Sorry, we're out of lunch. Would you like some dinner? Oh, I'm tired of dinner. We had dinner for lunch yesterday. And so on. So, since my idealized version of Canada just turned into an Abbott and Costello routine, guess I'm back to just seething with impotent rage. Anyway, let's talk about a comic book, shall we? Without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Defenders, number 120, June 1983. Sanctuary. Written by J.M. DeMatteis, drawn by Don Perlin, inked by Jack Abel and Kim DeMolder and Andy Mushinsky, lettered by Shelley Lefferman, 
colored by George Russos, and edited by Al Milgram. Defensive lineup. Son of Satan. Hellcat. Valkyrie. The Beast. Gargoyle. And the combined psyches of a sextet of dead psychics that hermit crabbed their way into the body of a space gladiator who we have taken to calling Overmindy. Previously in the Defenders. Devil Daddy Dugara Damien Hellstrom, a.k.a. Son of Satan, has been having a pretty rough indeterminate amount of comic book time. After a lifetime of struggling to submerge the Dark Soul, the embodiment of his diabolical heritage which gives him his superpowers, Damien finally gave in to his dark side and took up an infernal internship in hell with his perfidious papa. He soon learned that he wasn't cut out for the family business and decided to be a good guy again. Upon returning to Earth, Damon quickly began demonstrating that not being evil anymore didn't necessarily mean not being an asshole anymore. He confronted Patsy Walker, aka Hellcat, and aggressively informed the cat cosplaying crime fighter about his affection for her. When she spurned his advances, Damon responded violently, shoving her to the ground and flying off in a snit. He then returned to the site of his old job as a college professor, where, upon learning that a benevolent demon had taken over his persona and was, by all accounts, a much better Damien Hellstrom than he had ever been, he punched a pot of risotto out of the hands of a pregnant colleague. Dick move, Damon! After meeting the original version, Damon's demonic doppelganger decided that maybe a Damien Hellstrom wasn't such a great thing to be after all, and set off with his risotto-festooned wife to start a new life together away from academia and demonologists of questionable parentage. Seeing the life he had made for himself abandoned by a newlywed demon who was better at living it than he had been triggered an existential crisis for Damon, who wandered away from the campus in a tearful stupor. Gadzooks! Where does a Satan-spawned superhero go once he's been rejected by both hell and academia? What sort of person is the reclusive Damon Hellstrom drawn to befriend? And how will Valkyrie respond to being harassed by a transphobic meathead? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, a monastery? An amnesiac, mass-murdering, nigh-omnipotent megalomaniac? And she wraps a barbell around his neck. Hooray! A disheveled and disoriented Damon Hellstrom staggers to the door of a secluded monastery in rural Massachusetts and bangs on the large wooden door. A monk opens the door and is like, Hey, how are ya? Damon is like, Please, help me. Then he collapses to the ground. Please? Wow, he really is having an identity crisis. The next day, Damon wakes up in a bed inside the monastery. The monk is like, feeling better? Damon is like, Father Gossett, it is you. I walked here all the way from Washington, D.C. looking for this place. Thank goodness I've found you. It turns out that Father Gossett was Damon's instructor at seminary school when he first came into his powers and found out who his dad was. Gossett is like, yeah, I quit my teaching job and I've been the abbot here for a few years now. I miss having summers off, but what are you going to do? Now, what's bothering you? Daddy issues again? Damon is like, 
I mean, sort of, but it's more than that, too. I've spent my whole life struggling against the dark soul that rages within me. Now that I've got it under control, I realize that I've been trying so hard to define myself as what I'm not that I have no idea who I am. Confronting that demon who was living a richer, fuller version of my life left me shattered. I've been reeling since then. Broken. A hollow man. Father Gossett is like, Yeah, I'm sorry, I kind of zoned out there for a second. Did you say you were Earl Holloman? Like, from Policewoman and the Sons of Katie Elder? Damon is like, No, I said I was a hollow man. Gossett is like, Oh, that makes sense. Too bad, though. I understand Earl Holloman used to date Jane Fonda, and I got some questions. Damon is like, Yes, I do too. But back to my thing. It turns out that all I am and all I ever can be is this. As he speaks, Damon does his transformation thing where his shirt burns off and he's wearing a cape and looking all devilly. Father Gossett is like, well, yeah, that'd suck. I can see how years of pot haven't dimmed your flair for the dramatic. I always liked you and felt that underneath that pentagram and devil horn stuff, you were a pretty decent guy. Problem is, I'm not sure you believe that. Tell you what, why don't you stick around here for a while and we'll pray and meditate and stuff and see if that helps. Damon is like, thank you, Father Gossett. Tell me, since you've been the abbot here, has people greeting you by yelling, Hey, abbot! Like they were Lou Costello, been a problem? Gossett is like, well, Abbott and Costello haven't been popular for like 40 years, so, nah. Damon is like, oh, well, good. The next day, Damon wanders around the monastery and observes the monk as they do some prayers and rituals and stuff. A young bearded monk comes up to him and is like, Hey, you seem pretty deep. You want to go outside and talk some, like, metaphysical shit? Damon is like, yeah, I do. The two head outside and start feeding some deer and rabbits. The monk introduces himself as Brother Joshua and mentions that he's going to be taking his vows in four days. Damon is like, cool. Say, why aren't you in there praying like the other monks? Joshua's like, all that ceremony and tradition is so commercial. I'm more into, like, meditation and inwardly directed focus and stuff like that. I came here a while ago with a case of amnesia, and the brothers here really helped me get myself together. Damon is like, amnesia, huh? You wouldn't happen to have any tiny wings on your feet and an occasional urge to shout, Imperious Rex, by any chance. Josh is like, no, not that I've noticed. Damon is like, okay, just figured I'd check. Josh is like, well, let me ask you something. Do you ever feel like you have a great and wonderful power hidden deep inside of you that sets you apart from other men and makes you their superior? Damon is like, why, yes, new best friend. Yes, I do. As the two new pals start bonding over their untapped potential, the deer they had been feeding suddenly freaks out and runs away. Josh is like, I wonder what that was all about. Damon is like, it was probably just freaked out by how smart we are. Josh is like, oh yeah, good call. Later that night, back in New York, Patsy Walker awakens from a deep sleep, screaming in terror. The other defenders who share her Upper West Side brownstone rush into the room to make sure she's okay. Gargoyle is like, 
There, there, Patsy. It's only a dream. I'm sure everything's okay. Patsy is like, No, Isaac, I don't think everything is okay. You see, being a red-haired woman in a comic book, I am a powerful psychic, and I'm pretty sure I just had a vision that Damon is in terrible danger and needs our help. Beast is like, Nah. See, in my time on the X-Men, I got a lot of experience underestimating powerful red-haired psychic ladies and dismissing their concerns, and I'm pretty sure this was just a bad dream. Now, let's all go back to bed. Patsy is unconvinced, but everybody goes back to bed. The next day at the monastery, Damon is pretending he knows how to fix a tractor as he talks to Father Gossett. Damon is like, Man, this monastery is rad. I can feel myself getting serener by the minute. I think probably I'll just move here and be happy all the time. You must love working here. Father Gossett is like, Well, for the most part, yeah, I do like living here. But it's still a job. And it has its downside as well. Yeah, I'm sure if you did actually live here, you would come to see that it's not all peaches and cream. Damon is like, I don't know. Me and my friend were talking about how spiritual we are, and we agreed that meditating and communing with nature is the best. Father Gossett is like, Oh, I'm kind of surprised that you're making friends so quickly. Interpersonal skills were never exactly a strong suit. Eh, who's this friend of yours? Damon is like, Brother Joshua, he's the coolest. We were... Hey, what's wrong? When I mentioned Joshua, you got a weird look on your face. Father Gossett is like, Oh, did I? Yeah, it's probably nothing. And there's just something about Brother Joshua that, well, I don't know. Like I said, it's probably nothing. Now, why don't you go back to pretending you know how to fix a tractor? Damon is like, okay. A couple of days later, the Defenders are working out at the YMCA. Beast and Patsy are doing a gymnastic routine, but Patsy seems distracted. Beast is like, you're not still trusting your instincts and psychic powers, are you? Didn't I blithely dismiss your concerns already? What's the matter? Was I not patronizing enough? Patsy's like, No, no, you were plenty patronizing. It's just that I've been having the same dream for the past three nights. I'm certain something is wrong. If it were Professor X telling you this, would you be treating it so callously? Beast is like, Of course not. If Professor X had the same dream three nights in a row, that would definitely be a cause for concern. For one thing, I can't remember the last time he went three whole days without faking his own death. Tell you what, if you have your dream again tonight, we'll swing by the Sanctum Sanctimonious. Steve's off vampire hunting, but Overmindy has been crashing there. Maybe they could give you a once-over and see if your dreams are some kind of premonition. Patsy's like, I'd appreciate that. But why do you trust Overmindy's psychic powers and not mine? Beast is like, oh, no reason. It's certainly not the fact that at least three of the psyches living in their body are male. That's for sure. While Beast and Patsy are chatting, Valkyrie is twirling a 350-pound barbell over her head with one hand. A muscle-bound jerk comes up to her and grabs her arm. He's like, Hey, no way a broad could be that strong. You're really a dude in disguise like one of those Russian Olympic athletes, right? Val is like, One, get your hands off me. B, Get your fucking hands off me. The muscle jerk does not immediately comply, so Val beats the shit out of him and wraps a barbell around his neck. Hooray! That night at the monastery, 
Damon is awakened from his sleep by a terrible pain in his chest. He's barely able to breathe, but he finds himself drawn to the monastery's basement. Stumbling down the stairs, the hell-spawned hero is shocked to find his buddy, Brother Joshua, kneeling on a straw mat and meditating as a bright white light forms around him. Damon approaches and the light dims. Brother Joshua is like, Huh, well, that was weird. Damon is like, Sheesh, Josh, what was that? Joshua is startled as he had not heard Damon approach. He whirls and instinctively fires a blast of light out of the palms of his hand at our perfidiously parented protagonist. Damon is like, What the fuck, Josh? That really hurt! Brother Joshua appears shocked at what he has done. He's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Damon. I don't know what that was. Please, please don't tell anyone. I'm supposed to take my vows tomorrow, and I really don't want anything to mess that up. Damon is like, Hey, hey, don't worry about it, buddy. I know a thing or two about having uncontrollable dark powers festering in your soul. And in my experience, the best thing to do is probably just ignore it and not tell anyone and hope that it goes away. Josh is like, thank you, Damon. And that approach has always worked for you? Damon is like, oh, sure. Say, the monks aren't by any chance serving risotto tomorrow, are they? Josh is like, I don't think so. Why do you ask? Damon is like, oh, no reason. That night, Patsy has her most powerful psychic warning yet. The gang heads over to the Sanctum to see if Overmindy can help them track down Son of Satan so they can see if he's okay. When they get there, Overmindy is like, We psychics are still getting used to living together in this giant space gladiator, so our powers don't always have the focus we'd like them to. I'm not sure we can locate Damon. Patsy is like, well, I'm pretty sure I have a psychic link with him. Maybe you can just focus on me and find him that way. Overmindy agrees to give it a shot and fires a mental beam towards Patsy's head. Patsy's mind reacts defensively and sends out its own beam that knocks Overmindy on their ass. Overmindy is like, Dang, you are a powerful psychic. But I'm pretty sure before I got blasted, I picked up that Damon is in Massachusetts. So, let's just go there and wander around until we find him. It's not that big a state. How long could it take? The gang agrees that that sounds like a reasonable plan, and start to make travel arrangements. The next day, the monks at the monastery all gather to witness Brother Joshua take his vows. Father Gossett is like, so, uh, do you promise to be a monk and so forth? Joshua is like, Yes, I totally... Oh, shit! I just remembered who I am! And I am incredibly powerful! And incredibly pissed off! Damon is like, Namor? Joshua is like, No! Why do you keep asking me that? Damon is like, Well, he does get amnesia kind of a lot. Joshua is like, well, I'm not him. Maybe this will illuminate you as to my true identity. A bright light flashes around Brother Joshua, which causes Damon to collapse to the floor in pain. When the light dims enough that he can see again, Damon sees that Joshua is now wearing a very distinctive-looking outfit. Damon is like, Look, Josh, if you're trying to convince me that you're not Namor... Wearing a flowing cape with a speedo and no shirt probably isn't the way to go. 
Josh is like, well, this is an entirely different Speedo and Cape combo. I'm not the Submariner. Although we do share a common enmity with that accursed Reed Richards. Damon is like, yes, well, that doesn't narrow things down as much as you might think. Reed isn't exactly a people person. Several of the monks nod knowingly. Josh is like, fine, I'll just spell it out for you. Before you stands, the Miracle Man. Damon is like, Billy Crystal's character from The Princess Bride? Miracle Man is like, no, that's Miracle Max, and that movie hasn't even come out yet. Father Gossett is like, Mickey Moran? Miracle Man is like, no, that's a different Miracle Man. Marvel doesn't own the rights to him yet. And I think he might be going by Marvel Man right now. Look, the important thing is, my name is Miracle Man, I'm nigh omnipotent, and I am evil as shit. The monks are like, oh, you're not that evil, Joshua. I mean, you're a little arrogant, but... Miracle Man is like, oh no? He starts using his powers to hurl the monks into the air, sending them tumbling head over heel. The monks are like, okay, okay, you're evil. Miracle Man is like, oh, you think? Then he turns all the monks into dust. Shitty. Damon pulls himself to his feet and changes into his shirtless caped attire. He still seems significantly weakened by Miracle Man's presence, but he powers through it and is like, knock it off, Joshua. He shoots Miracle Man in the chest with a blast of hellfire from his trident. Miracle Man is like, you fucking chump! That's what I wanted you to do! You were drawn to this place by the dark soul inside of you. It sensed my power even through my amnesia and knew that I would be a better host for it than you are. You unleashing its power on me was just what I was hoping you would do so that I could do this! With a gesture, Miracle Man slorps all the devil power right out of Damon and takes his trident. The pentagram fades from Damon's chest and appears on Joshua's. Damon crumbles to the ground, suddenly powerless. Miracle Man does a dramatic bad guy pose and is like, Ha ha, dumbass! Now that I've got the Dark Soul, I'm double omnipotent! This planet is fucking hosed! Back in New York, the rest of the Defenders grimly pile into a Quinjet that they have borrowed from the Avengers and start flying towards Massachusetts unaware of the danger they are about to face. Beast turns to Patsy and is like, Hey, I know you're worried about Damon, we all are, but it's probably not that bad. Odzari just bumped into an amnesiac Namor again. We'll clear this up, grab a couple of lobster rolls, and be back home before you know it. Patsy nods, but Beast's words bring her little solace. To be continued. Joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, what would you say are your best and worst qualities as an employee? Well, frankly, it's one and the same. I just care too much. Ah. I try too hard. I can't let go of things. <laughs> I'm proprietary because I want to do a good, good job. Wow, you really had that locked and loaded. Isn't that what everybody says? I don't know. Okay, let me put the question to you. Um, I would say I'm pretty lazy, and I sometimes steal. Mm-hmm. 
Those are my best qualities. <laughs> and my worst would be, I care too much. Oh, see? There it is. Yeah. There it is. No, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. Well, you want to talk about a comic book? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Corey, what did you think of this comic book? I'm confused about the way that map directions work. I mean, I thought I got it, but... So, Avengers headquarters is in Manhattan, right? Yeah. Okay. And that's where they borrowed the Quinjet from. Right. But then it said they had to fly west to get to Massachusetts. Well, they didn't know they were going west. I didn't even... I glossed over that. I actually had to go get a map, because I was like, did I forget where New York is? That is really weird. Mm -hmm. And kind of surprising that J.M. DeMatteis wouldn't know that. So, I spent... A little too much time thinking about how mad that made me. <laughs> and kind of lost track of the rest of the story. But I'm pretty interested to see where this Miracle Man, is that his name? Yeah. Character, he seems like a good potential for a, a bad guy. Yeah. Is he a character you were at all familiar with before? Not in the least. Okay. So, he only has a few other appearances in the Marvel Universe. I think... Maybe at this point, only three or four. But when I first heard the name Miracle Man, I was like, oh, that sounds super familiar. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of a different licensed property that's called Miracle Man, which was an Alan Moore and I think Alan Davis comic that came out in the 80s, mm. which was a British comic book that was honestly ripoff as putting it a little bit too lightly of the original Captain Marvel. Mm. That character gets very complicated. You know the original Captain Marvel? Red suit, lightning bolt, says Shazam. Mm -hmm. Turns from a little kid into a real strong guy. Mm -hmm. So that was an insanely popular comic book in the 40s and 50s. And then DC Comics sued its publisher because they said it was a ripoff of Superman. Hmm. And they had to stop printing it. But in England, they had been doing reprints of the American Captain Marvel stories in this comic book for a while. Mm-hmm. And when they ran out of stories, they're like, well, shit, we still want to use this character. I guess we can't call him that anymore. So they renamed him Marvel Man and continued the same numbering. They made really superficial changes in the character from Captain Marvel to Marvel Man. He got different names. Mm -hmm. He was now atomic-powered instead of magic-powered. And so he said Komoda to turn from a kid into a grown-up, which is atomic backwards. Oh. And then that run eventually just kind of petered out after a while. And in the 80s, they did a revamp of that. But at that point, they couldn't call it Marvel Man anymore. Not because of DC, but because after DC had put Fawcett out of comics, they bought the character Captain Marvel and started publishing him again. And Marvel Comics sued them for using the word Marvel on the cover of their comics. Oh, boy. And so they had to change the name again, and they named him Miracle Man for this, like, dark, gritty reboot of the comic that was appearing in a comic book called Warrior Magazine in England. Mm. And then it was uh, for the American reprints, because as long as it wasn't on the cover, they could call him Marvel Man. But if it was on the cover, then they couldn't use the word Marvel. So then an American comic company started reprinting those as Miracle Man, and then he got known as Miracle Man. And then recently, Marvel bought the rights to the character Miracle Man and has renamed him Marvel Man. Oh my gosh. None of that has anything to do with this guy. They just share a name in common. This guy 
started off as a Fantastic Four villain in one of the really early issues of Fantastic Four. I think it was number three. And initially, he was just a stage magician turned real magician, which is kind of a common thing that happens in comic books. Happened a lot more during the Golden Age. There were a lot of Golden Age heroes who were like patterned after Mandrake, who were like, oh, I'm a stage magician, but probably it's real magic because, you know, it's the 40s. We don't know how jack shit works. Mm -hmm. So he made a thing disappear. Probably he's got magic powers. He was one of those guys, kind of, except for it turned out all of his stuff was just him hypnotizing people into thinking that he was doing real magic stuff. Because mm -hmm. he could do mass hypnosis, like he was an albino baboon, say. Right. And he used that to fight the Fantastic Four, rob jewelry stores, pretty typical villain stuff. Fantastic Four, arrest him, throw him in jail. Like, 120 issues later, he shows up again. And it turned out he used his powers to bust out of prison, finds a tribe of Native Americans who have been hiding in a cave for thousands of years. They teach him how to be omnipotent, and then he murders them. And then their ghosts come back and take him to a different universe. Oh. Then it gets weird. <laughs> because his next appearance was in Marvel 2-in-1 number 8, which was written by Steve Gerber. And it's a team-up between The Thing and Ghost Rider. And Miracle Man comes back and decides that he really has godlike powers for sure now. And so he doesn't just want to be God. He wants to be Christian God. So he recreates the birth of Christ scenario. Like, he takes this southwestern town and turns it into Bethlehem and makes a baby for him to put himself into later so he could be <laughs> Jesus and so he could be all three parts of the Trinity. Oh boy. And the thing in Ghost Rider are like, hey, don't do that. And he's like, but I wanna. And uh, he ends up getting thwarted. There's a lot of weird touches in that. Like Ghost Rider meets the three wise men and it turns out that they're the ancient secret omnipotent cave Native Americans who had given him his powers in the first place. And they're like, Hey, we got this frankincense and myrrh. Do you want to put your name on the card and come with? And, uh, and Ghost Rider's like, nah. But it's a really weird story. As I said, it was written by Steve Gerber. But that was the last time that Miracle Man had showed up. It ended again with the ancient, omnipotent cave Native Americans teleporting him away to another dimension. Uh -huh. Which is where I guess they gave him amnesia. And then he sent him to a monastery. Mm-hmm. And that brings us kind of up to speed, but that's who Miracle Man is. This is the first time, I think, that we find out that his first name is even Joshua. He had had some fairly eventful, but pretty, all things considered, minor appearances in the Marvel Universe before this. Well, he seems like a real jerk. He really does. Which is maybe why him and Son of Satan hit it off so well. Yeah. this issue. I think more than I was expecting to, given recent issues, once I saw Son of Satan on the cover. Mm -hmm. I did have to get over my initial disappointment that that was Moondragon on the cover, because Miracle Man is drawn bald for some reason on the cover, which he isn't inside the comic book, and he's got the huge green cape, and I thought it was an oddly stylized version of Moondragon, but I was like, oh, is she gonna show up? I like her. Mm. No dice. Nope. So there are things about Son of Satan in this issue that I find pretty sympathetic. I think this is a much more likable portrayal of him than we've seen recently. 
it is kind of a shame that since he is the focus of this issue for the most part, they spent his last couple of appearances making him specifically unsympathetic and unlikable. Mm -hmm. So they really had to dig themselves out of a hole. And I think for the most part, they did an okay job with that. Yeah, I'm still mad at him from Oh, understandably so. So are we left... I mean, it kind of leaves things where he's been unpowered. Yeah. And along with his powers went his Dark Soul, so he's just he's going to be cool now? or Maybe. I mean, I don't know if he needs to get it back and, like, retake the power from this jackass so that he doesn't try to make himself Jesus again. Mm-hmm. We've already got enough space Jesuses in the Marvel Universe. We definitely don't need another. Especially not one that now has a pentagram inscribed on his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what's going to happen with Son of Satan. I did like, it introduced a kind of interesting hook for the character that I think would have been a much more interesting arc for him rather than him just lashing out and being a total dill hole lately, which is he has spent his whole life combating this force inside of him, and now that he's defeated it, he realizes that he doesn't really know who he is or what he's been defending himself against. Like, if it was just, like, him drifting around and just, like, trying to figure out So do I even like ice cream? Like, what's my deal? What kind of shit am I into? I have never thought about this or tried to live a life before. I think that would be a much cooler story. Mm -hmm. And I I think that could have brought him to this monastery pretty easily. But it didn't. That being said, still pretty fun issue for the most part. Yeah, not bad. The art? I was concerned initially when I saw that there was, I think, three different inkers. Yeah, it is Jack Abel, Mushinsky again and Kim DeMolder. Mm-hmm. And I had the same concerns, but I thought it was overall really strong. Yeah, same here. Monastery life looks pretty peaceful, actually. You get to go feed some animals, work on some tractors. Yeah, you gotta get a stupid haircut, but probably worth it. Man, those guys are doing their own hair pretty bad. Really, they... like, weirdly placed bald spots. Yeah, they are not doing the uh, tonsure haircut well. Uh Like, they should look at some Monks album covers Mm -hmm. from the punk band The Monks Mm. and just really take notes on those. Because sometimes they got the tonsure going on. Sometimes they're wearing, I actually wrote it down, Zucchettos, which are the monk version of yarmulkes. Oh, yeah. You'll sometimes see the Pope wearing one of them. Mm -hmm. And it's always for me like, wait, why is the Pope wearing a yarmulke? I didn't think he was Jewish. It's because the little bald part gets cold. It is actually because the little bald part gets cold. That is why the monks had to wear those, because it was mandated that they shave their heads that way. I looked into this. This is some bonkers shit. So, do you know why monks give themselves that haircut? I've always wondered that. I suspected it was because, I don't know, there was some influential church person that had male pattern baldness, and then they just tried to copy it? Sort of. That person would be St. Paul. Hmm who was apparently in the Bible, it said he was bald somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so in 1073, Pope Gregorius VII, who seemed like a real piece of work, frankly, Mm. was worried that there was too much corruption inside the church and that too many people wanted to get powerful being monks and priests and nuns and shit. So he did a couple of things. Firstly, and probably most importantly, it was him that laid down the really strong edict Monks, priests, nuns, 
Nobody's fucking anymore. Before that, they could. Oh, man. Or at least they were. The other thing that he did was say, you guys need to be more like St. Paul. And I'm sure there were some priests there who were just like, you're not going to make us fall off of horses, are you? Because <laughs> that was the big thing with St. Paul. He was a real dick, and then he fell off a horse and hit his head, and then he was nice. Oh, really? Yeah. But he didn't make them fall off horses. Instead, he was like, well, you guys need to be bald. Because he was bald, and that'll teach you a lesson. Here's the problem, though. Still doing a lot of strict interpretations of the Bible at this point. And in Leviticus, it does say, can't, I think it's Leviticus 19.28, you can't trim your hair on the sides or trim the sides of your beard. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, shit, we can't cut the sides of our hair, but we got to be bald. And then you get the tonsure, which is this dumb fucking haircut. What the fuck is wrong with people? I don't know. It must have been a fucking hell of a ride for those monks in those days, too, though. Get that edict that's like, okay, here's the bad news. You guys gotta get these fucking haircuts. And the monks are like, oh, nobody's gonna want to fuck us then. And Pope Gregorius is like, well, here's the good news. <laughs> no more boinking. Yep. So yeah, that's why they got those dumb haircuts, and that is also why they have to wear those dumb little hats. Oh, jeez. Because then their bald spots get cold. That's so fucking dumb. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. If you're Pope Gregorius VII and you're listening, nah, fuck that nah, guy. I, he I'm was not, a dick. I'm yeah. not sorry at all about no. saying that's dumb. No, it's, it's because you care too much. That's been established. Mm -hmm. My arms are folded and I'm shaking my head with pursed lips. It's true. That being said, you're right. Monastery life does seem pretty chill. You get to hang out with, like, uh, deer and rabbits. There is a funny scene where Son of Satan and his new work buddy are sneaking off to, like, chat and have their, like, highfalutin conversations about how powerful they probably are and how rad meditation is. And then Adir is like, ah, I'm out of here, and runs away. And Son of Satan is like, oh, probably we were talking about too much smart person stuff, so he couldn't take it. And Miracle Man's like, yeah, we're pretty great. I just, like, get into the super deep shit, like, right away. And that deer was like, no way, man. Uh-huh. I'm out. That's basically what he said. And yeah, it, pretty much. I, it just made me want to punch him <laughs> in his stupid face. It's an understandable reaction. That being said, there was something almost charming to me about, like, the new guy shows up at the monastery. And yeah, is a dick about just, like, oh, these monks are all doing it wrong. They don't need to meditate and have all the pomp and circumstance. I'm really just about it for the real monk life. I'm here for the right reasons. And he and Josh are swapping notes about that and just, like, sneaking off and chatting and stuff. There is something kind of relatable about, like, having that one work friend. Especially when they're in that new situation where you just, like, bond with somebody new and you're kind of uncomfortable, so you're joking around and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then you do see Son of Satan when he's talking to father gossett he's like oh yeah and then my friend said this and my friend said this and father gossett's like oh joshua yeah um you know i don't have anything nice to say so i'm not gonna say anything at all he was very diplomatic he was but he still got the point across oh yeah i remember when i had to take my bartending test the first time mm -hmm. there's a dumb system in oregon where the oregon liquor control commission if you want a job as a bartender, you have to take a nine-hour class and then take a test. 
and then you can get your license and it's kind of expensive not like totally prohibitively so but still they're making a fair chunk of change i remember sitting in that class there was a woman sitting next to me and we ended up becoming like buddies and goofing around and stuff and i will always be super grateful for her because there's a lot of make work as part of the class because there isn't really nine hours of information to learn it's basically just like hey if somebody's drunk don't give them any more to drink mm -hmm. and you have to be like okay fine and they're like hey what if somebody's had too much to drink but they say this is their last one and you're like well i still can't give them a drink so they have to like pad it out with other stuff and there was a section where you had to fill out this thing that said where do you see yourself in five years and i just got this panicked look on my face and I think she saw that. She was like, you can just make something up. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I was having like an existential crisis for a minute. Oh, man. Has anybody ever asked you that question? It seems like you've been through more like corporate interviews than me. Yeah. Yeah. How did you answer? Well, there was one job where I guess I knew going in I didn't really want it. So I shouldn't have taken the interview. Mm. And uh, yeah, I was like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I told him that I would like to, at that point, basically be self-employed, hmm. doing the same thing, but, you know, from home. And this was, like, way before right. that was a possibility. And, yeah, right then, I was like, oh. <laughs> I could tell, like, as soon as the words had escaped my mouth, what a stupid thing <laughs> to say in a job interview that was. Yeah, I think I ended up writing down something like, King of the Moon Men! I don't fucking know. <laughs> but, yeah, I was always super grateful for that moment because I really was starting to just have a freak out about it. I couldn't not take it seriously just then. It's like, like on the spot to say something important. Well, and we were all just like training to be bartenders too. It's like, I can't, I can't do this. I was like the deer in this comic book. I was like, this conversation is too heady. I'm out. I'm out. Yep. I used to run into that woman around town every now and again, and we stayed friendly for a while. But the last interaction we had, I was thinking about it the other day. It was really awkward, and I couldn't figure out why at the time. So I'd been doing sketch comedy for a little while mm -hmm. at that point. And that was, I think, mostly what we had talked about the last time we had run into each other. So I bumped into her at this bar, and she's like, oh, so are you do still doing sketch comedy? And I explained to her that my writing partner, Laura, had had a kid recently, and so that was kind of on the back burner. And then things got really awkward, and I was like, what, what, why is this weird now? She left, and after she left, I realized that what I explained to you was what I thought I was explaining to her. But the way I phrased it was, oh, my partner had a baby, so sketch comedy kind of is fallen by the wayside. And she said, congratulations, and I said, oh, it's not mine. <laughs> and then continued on with the conversation. Ah. And she had this really weird look on her face. I was like, what's her problem? Oh, that's funny. Yeah. You ever have stuff like that just randomly hit you? Like a year later? Yeah. Th like, this oh. one, it was as soon as she left. But there have been many where it's just like, oh, we were having totally different conversations. I really wish I hadn't said what I said. <laughs> yeah, that happens to me far too often. Mm. Hindsight is twenty twenty. You know, like, I bet glasses companies lost a lot of money on slogans like 2020 vision and stuff for the year 2020 because that year ended up being kind of synonymous with a shit show. Mm. I bet there was a lot of like, hey, get new eyeglasses, celebrate, it's 2020. And then they're like, oh, fuck. Ah. 
So, as opposed to the part of the stories that took place at the monastery, which, again, the monastery should seem pretty cool. I liked reading books about that and stuff when I was a kid. Seems neat. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's an idealized version of it. Once you get there, it's probably a lot of, like... Chores. Chores and probably internal politics, too, and... Ugh. Yeah. But the other half of the story is the Defenders, and that part of the story was really fun. What did you think of that? I love the idea of a super team going to the YMCA to get a workout. I did, too. I thought that was pretty cool. I loved that Val beat that dude up, because he was being a fucking creep. Mm Mm-hmm. I do wish she hadn't wrecked the barbells when she did that, though. Because I was like, those are for everybody, and the Y doesn't have a lot of resources, and you guys are kind of rich. So don't go to the the poor people's workout place and break their gym stuff. Yeah, and also on the way out, they're just like, man, this place kind of (laughs) sucks. Yeah. (laughs) Poor people. Yeah, we should probably go to our private mansion that we have access to and work out there. And I'm like, yeah, probably you should have. Mm Mm-hmm. But I did like them going to the Y. I thought that was fun. And this version of the Defenders, because you see Steve is off apparently vampire hunting right now. The Defenders are left to their own resources. And I like that part of the story where they're just like, uh, we don't know how to get anywhere without Steve. So we'll borrow a Quinjet from the Avengers. We got to go work out at the Y. I don't know if Steve had been making them like a pocket dimension full of uneven parallel bars or whatever. Mm -hmm. But... I think them scrounging for resources to do their superheroing on a budget is a pretty fun story. I also like that that kind of roommate vibe where Patsy screams from her room and it's like a sitcom almost. They all like pile in. And they're like, what's going on? There were a couple of weird things about that scene. I love that scene where it's just like sudden Defenders pajama party. Mm-hmm. I love that Gargoyle is wearing his Ebenezer Scrooge cosplay with a little hat with the tassel on it. Probably he had a candle. His hands were covered up, I think, in the panel. I did think it was weird. Val runs into the room wearing, like, a sleep shirt. Not really a nightgown, but like a too-big shirt that she's wearing as a nightgown type of thing. Mm -hmm. And she's got her sword in her hand. Which is weird, because when she draws her sword... She should have her costume. Her armor comes on unless that's not her everyday sword like does she have a burner sword in case she has to kill somebody in the house and get rid of the evidence i like to think that she does maybe it's like her bedside sword like you know some people have those like holsters that hold guns on their bed frame they do yeah that's horrifying Uh uh-huh but maybe (laughs) she's I don't know what the sword amendment is, but she's (laughs) like a real strong... She has a bed sword, maybe. Yeah, I can see her having a bed sword. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of her just like, look, if anything happens in the house, this is where I live. I gotta be able to get rid of the evidence. And if I kill somebody with my sword sword, that's gonna be a problem. So, uh, yeah, keep a burner sword near the bed. Throw it out. Toss it in the river. Uh Uh-huh. That's the only explanation for why she didn't have her costume on. Yep. Burner sword. Mm-hmm. We see that most of the Defenders rush into her room, but not all of them. Because Overmindy is crashing at Steve's place, which I think lends credence to my theory that they are hooking up. Mm. Overmindy moves in right when Clea moves out. Maybe that's why Clea moves out. All of the other Defenders crash at this brownstone building that Patsy and Valkyrie own because Nighthawk left it to them. 
Beast moves in there immediately once he joins the team. Isaac moves in there with them immediately. I think Beast's girlfriend moves in with him, too. Like, so it seems like there's space there. Dolly Donahue lives in there. But over Mindy crashes at the Sanctum. Interesting. They're flying around holding hands. I think they are kind of a sweet couple. Well, we'll see. I guess. We'll see what happens when he gets back from vampire hunting. But I thought that was an interesting touch that uh, Overmindy is crashing there. I also think it's interesting that apparently Overmindy could take off their helmet this whole time. I know. We see them in the Quinjet at the end. The hat was too tall. To yeah. The jet. And they look super glum about it. They're hunched over with their knees like curled up and... Like, Gargoyle and Valkyrie are in the backseat, too, and they don't look happy about it. I think they just don't like riding three deep in the backseat of the Quinjet, because it does look kind of cramped. Like, for a jet that's that size, it does seem like it has the passenger space of basically a Miata. Mm -hmm. Bad design. But it is mind-boggling to me that they could take off this hat at any time, and previous to this, they have not done so even once. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about that when we got to the sartorially speaking part. Have we actually seen that haircut before? No. I don't think so. No, I would remember. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very metal, like 80s metal bangs. and It's pretty cool looking. Like, I can see why they would keep most of the look. But I had honestly assumed that the armor and helmet were maybe forged around them. And so, like, was kind of merged with their body in some way. But, no, they... They could take that accessory. They sleep in it. You see, when they get woken up at two o'clock in the middle of the night, they're wearing the goddamn metal hat. Yeah, I bet it felt super weird for them not to have that on. Maybe that's why they're so glum. Maybe. It's kind of weird that Son of Satan is fleeing his father's influence. And that seems to be a big part of his backstory. And that's how he ends up crashing at a monastery. When we found out a little while ago, his dad's also God. So that's his dad's place, too. Uh... It's like if you're boycotting KFC so you eat a Taco Bell. Guess what, son of Satan? They got the same owner. Drop the chalupa. Yup. <laughs> <laughs> Bad job, Damon. Well, Corey, was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we move into the minutia? I think uh, what remains will come out in the minutia. All right. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, Corey, what category do you feel like starting off with? Well, we were just alluding to it. Why don't we talk about fashion? Okay. What fashion in this issue? Did you find most worthy of note? First and foremost, Val's choice of weightlifting attire. <laughs> Them's some serious leg warmers. Wow. It, it is a very Jane Fonda-inspired look, and one that she rocks really well. I love that scene. I love when she is tossing the barbell up with one hand and doing little baton twirls with it. Mm-hmm. Pretty rad. Yeah, she is super strong. It's such a, a funny look. It's like an exaggeration of the Jane Fonda stuff because those leg warmers come up to like top of the thigh. Mm-hmm. And then she's got a pretty high cut one piece 
bathing suit kind of thing. Yeah, that. it seems like at that point, pants would just be the way to go. Right, yeah. Thinking for weightlifting, like, it would be kind of a wedgie potential <laughs> would, be, mm. would be bad. But not a problem for her, because she's just, uh, she's so strong, she can lift a, what was it, 350-pound barbell? Mm-hmm. Like, it's nothing. Yeah, deadlift it one-handed. Mm-hmm. And then use her other hand to beat up a fucking creep. Yep. Good for her. Yeah, that was an enjoyable scene. We talked about it briefly already, but the pajama party on page seven is fucking rad. Like, getting to see everybody in their sleepwear was for some reason such a treat. I like that Beast has a fairly fitted brown bathrobe on. We get to see Dolly Donahue in a big kind of old-timey flowered nightdress. Mm-hmm. And she has her hair in curlers. We talked about Valkyrie's nightshirt, which has a little, like, fleece collar a little bit. And uh, Gargoyle's completely Ebenezer scrooging it up, which, good for him. He's a million. You may as well. Yep. And Patsy is wearing a negligee, which, if that's how she wants to sleep, cool. Mm-hmm. I liked all of the fashion in that. And then on the next page, we get Longshoreman Damon Hellstrom. Yeah, I called it his tractor outfit. Yeah, I think that too. But I, I think the hat put it into Longshoreman territory I for me. Because yeah. he's got like the knit hat and orange plaid shirt that he's wearing while he works on a tractor. And I gotta believe he does not know what he's doing. He's just like hitting that thing with a hammer. Nothing in academia would teach him how to fix a tractor. Also, his reply when the head priest guy comes out and Damon's just, yeah, sitting there pounding this tractor with a wrench or whatever. He's just, this is such simple work. <laughs> yeah, tractor repair. That, that's how I would view uh, intuitive tractor repair. Just simple work. Simple life. Yeah, That's something that we will get back to later. Because that did actually bother me, Damon's interaction there. Other than that, I already talked about the uh, Zucchetto versus Yamaka. Uh-huh. And their dumb tonsure haircuts. Uh, any other fashion you wanted to bring up? Well, just, Miracle Man. So, I don't know in superhero circles if they just run hot naturally. But <laughs> he's basically got a pair of Speedos. And yep. like a uh, a cape that can, or a cloak cape thing that can wrap up his whole body. Mm-hmm. But underneath that, nothing but some uh, tidy greenies, green shorts. Yeah, tidy greenies. I yeah, think that's what they they're say. called. Yeah. I, I hear greenie, I think about the drugs that baseball players took in the sixties, but uh yeah. Oh. yeah, they were always popping greenies. I don't think they meant that. Oh. <laughs> Maybe they did. I don't know. Seems like that'd keep me awake too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think maybe just him being omnipotent, cold is not an issue. It would make more sense to me after he got Damon's powers if then he's like, Well, I don't need this shirt or pants anymore because now i'm filled with hellfire and here's the thing about hell pretty warm it's just such a weird choice to me to like just thinking of how i would feel similarly attired (laughs) like very exposed i think so i think that may be part of what makes them villains or what we're supposed to subconsciously like take in from it is that they are being transgressive in every way you know they're transgressing societies morals and yes you would be ashamed to be dressing this way but they they just don't care because they're evil they love it they can't get enough of it look at my tall boots and tight speedo (laughs) 
Well, that's going to be the pull quote, Corey. <laughs> Corey Whitney, look at my tall boots and tight speedo. <sighs> um, I think I might splice that in when I ask what your best qualities as an employee are. <laughs> Corey, every issue of a Defender's comic has a best defender and a worst offender. In this issue, who did you have as your best and who your worst? For potentially ushering in a whole repeat of the Jesus do-over. <laughs> for getting all of his monk friends turned into ashes and stone. For making disparaging remarks about skilled mechanical <laughs> labor and wanging on a tractor engine with a wrench. Mm-hmm. Despite having a pretty good outfit, I gave it to Damon. Yeah, I did too, for all of those reasons. Plus, I don't know, giving into vacation brain, I would call it. You know, like you're on vacation somewhere and you're like, oh, I could live here. Here's oh. what my life would be like. This is pretty great. He absolutely does that as soon as he gets to the monastery. It's like, this is a break from my daily routine. Therefore, this is my new life. Uh, what a wonderful, idyllic place this is. I will be happy here forever. It would be one thing if he thought that, but the fact that he gave voice to it and was like, oh man, you must love working here. You should never tell anybody they must love working there. It's happened to me most of the service industry jobs that I've had. Somebody's been like, oh, I love this bar. You must love working here. And my response has always been, if I must. Because when you're working at a job, it's it's a totally different scenario, you know? That must be comments from people that, like, haven't worked in a service yeah. line? Like, they yeah, office course. people or something? Yeah, I used to get it when I was working at the Middle Eastern restaurant, too. Like, oh, you must love working here. It's like, oh, no, this is the worst. <laughs> like, you can't say that, obviously, but, like, it's a job. Why would you say that? Like, why would you just say somebody like, oh, your job probably isn't work. It's easy and fun. Good for you. Yeah, there is a, a patronizing undercurrent to it. Mm -hmm. I've also never had somebody like pop into a cubicle and be like, hey, <laughs> you must love working here. <laughs> Go away, secret boss. I don't know how this show works. <laughs> Undercover boss. Right. Take that big droopy mustache off and get out of here. I mean, yes, I love working here. I'm a loyal employee and I never steal. I try too hard. So hard. <laughs> Check out my tight green Speedos and big boots. <laughs> You're getting a raise. Thank you. Conversely, who did you have as your best? For not giving up on a friend, despite the rest of her teammates thinking her psychic powers are bullshit. For the persistence, trying to help out a buddy, even though that buddy was a real piece of garbage last time they interacted. I gave it to Patsy. I think that's a good call. I gave it to Overmindy for kind of similar reasons being the only person who immediately believes Patsy. Like, Patsy's a fucking psychic. It always freaks me out how many times in comic books a psychic will be like, I feel like something terrible is wrong, and everyone around them is like, that's eh, probably nothing. Yeah. All of the other defenders are like, oh, you probably just had a bad dream. Why don't you go back to sleep, honey? Yeah. As soon as they bring the problem to Overmindy, Overmindy's like, well, let's check it out. I'll use my psychic powers. That's what I do. It's two o'clock in the morning. They just got woken up at Steve's house and they are on the go immediately. Good for them. Also took off that dumb hat for the first time. Nice work. Yeah. My backup choice 
was Steve for hunting vampires. Fuck those guys. Oh. Hate fucking vampires. Yeah? Yeah, I just watched Blade pretty recently. Oh, yeah? Turns out these vampires no goddamn good. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they're led by Steven Dorf. I haven't seen Blade for a long, long time. I would highly recommend it. Although, Steven Dorf is definitely a poor man's Christian Slater. Oh. I mean, ew. <laughs> yeah. Is that a good <laughs> That's Slater? a wonderful Christian Slater impression. Thanks. No, okay, try to do the shittiest Jack Nicholson impression you can. Um, I am a werewolf. Wait, I sound like Ray Liotta. I think you sounded just like Christian Slater. Uh, Wait, is Ray Liotta a werewolf? Is Christian Slater Jack Nicholson? <laughs> oh, mind blown. It's all connected, man. <laughs> oh, I gotta get more yarn for this bulletin board. <laughs> What was your favorite panel in this issue? We discussed the fact that the artwork was pretty good. What did you have as the best of the pretty good? I had two choices. One is on page eight, and I called it Sad Patsy. Mm. Uh, it's just a, a close-up of her face after she wakes up all freaked out from the bad news. I had that as one of my choices, too, and I also called it Sad Patsy. Whoa. It is a hell of a panel. Really nice facial reaction. The other close-up of a character having a facial reaction in the issue that I liked a lot is Valkyrie, a few pages later, when she is about to beat up the douchebag at the gym. The look of righteous anger on her face is nailed perfectly, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it was pretty satisfying. I think, ultimately, my winner, though, is on page 15. It's a pair of close-ups on faces showing expressions, and it is... Joshua is being, I don't know what the word is, ordained, or like when he's taking his monk vows. Cloistered? He's getting cloistered. That sounds that bad. The, no, it doesn't. Sounds like. It sounds like oyster. Yeah. Or like they're wrapping you up and. That's swaddled. I don't know what the ceremony's like. It could be that they're swaddling him he's getting as it. part of his monk initiation. Yeah, yeah. So he's taking his swaddling vows and uh, he's, <laughs> he's like uh, got this like rapturous, enraptured. Like, he's praying, and he just looks like he's, like, yeah, like talking to God. Him. Yeah, can't get enough of that God guy. Conversely, Damon, in the panel opposite, is looking at him with just, like, pure, I would say, jealousy. Hmm. Let me take a look at that. Yeah. I think we're supposed to see it as concern, but he absolutely looks like, can't believe they're ordaining this fucking guy. I should be getting swaddled in there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's a really nice choice. I think my favorite panel in the issue, and it has little to do with the artistic merit of it, but it is the final panel where they are all in the Quinjet. I would honestly suspect this is one that is inked by Jack Abel. I think he has the least detailed inks of the three people working on the book, but the body language that everybody has as they are resentful of sitting in the backseat of the Quinjet and seeing Overmindy hunched up with the elaborate helmet on their lap really cracked me up. Yeah, yeah, that's a funny one. Overmindy looks so much more metal, like the like musical style. Yeah, uh, ironically, when they are wearing less metal. Yeah. No, it's a it's a badass look. Like when you see, like, oh, they got long, flowing red Viking hair under that, mm -hmm. like badly cut bangs. Uh huh. Yeah, it's like very seventies. Yeah, it looks it looks like they cut their bangs with an axe. Oh yeah. That's how they're tough. Yeah. That's how space gladiators do. Oh. Careful. No. 
I'm just they saying. They never are. Well, you could cut yourself so bad trying to cut your bangs with an axe. That's what makes it so metal. Oh. Corey, what was your favorite sound effect this issue? I had two choices that uh, had a similar sound. Hmm. One is the creak of the monastery door as uh, Damon's being admitted, which goes Mm-hmm. That was my choice, too. There were not a ton to choose from. I think I was able to count maybe three sound effects total. Prior to the Cree, there is a wood wood of Damon banging on the old monastery door. Yep. I had also uh, Patsy's I'm Having a Nightmare scream. Yeah, just a long string of capital E's. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's why Beast was skeptical, because in these comic books we have seen, long string of capital vowels, often a sign of mystical madness. Mm -hmm. Space impairment. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I I think the Cree is probably the most evocative of the noises. That was why that was my first choice. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was a nice, uh, nice door creak noise. It was. ourselves a battle of the band names okay what band names were you able to find in this issue i got two i think i feel like this is a pretty metal issue in general uh-huh. with the, i don't know the satan stuff and the long red hair and mm-hmm. axe chopped bangs yeah, totally. So uh, the first offering is an outfit. I'm going to say they're from Detroit. I don't know why. Okay. Called uh, Miracle Monster. Oh, Miracle Monster's fucking rad. Yeah. I'm amazed that at least the first page of search results that came back did not have them. They may be a band somewhere by that name, but in my very lazy <laughs> research, it didn't come up. I think that is an awesome choice. I also was initially looking for a metal name, and given the two types of imagery in this, I thought I had what was a pretty good name for a Christian metal band along the lines of Striper, but it turns out that Nimbus is already a band. They are a Finnish prog rock band that had, like, an album in the early 70s. Damn it, Nimbus. Damn it, Google. Like, there's no reason why I should have known that. I wish I had plausible deniability on that. But instead, I decided to go with the Human Foibles, which are a pretty high-concept band. So the conceit of this band is that they are space aliens who are heavily influenced by the Ramones. They all have, as a first name what they view as a derogatory human foible, and then their last name would be human. Like, the Ramones all have the same uh, last name, Ramon. Uh-huh. So there'd be, like, lazy human and foolish human. Oh, nice. And arrogant human. Uh-huh. I think those are the three. They're probably a three-piece, because I don't want to think of any more. Uh-huh. And then they play rock songs about how humans are the worst. But they are definitely humans. Oh. You see? Yeah. But they're not not like us, who are humans from Earth. Right, no. They're we, pretending to be humans right, from Earth. Right, yeah, no, we would never do that. No, no, we, we love humans because we are humans. Yeah. And we're uh-huh. from Earth. These guys aren't. I got it. Yeah, that's the human foibles. Uh-huh. But pretty good, like, proto-punk. Yeah. 
Well, I do like the Ramones, so I probably like the uh, human foibles too. Yeah. Plus, I mean, I like humans. Being one. It's the best. Yeah. I wouldn't change it. No, not even if I could be from the, the Sirius solar system, which from everything that I've heard from my human friends is probably the best place in the universe. Uh-huh. But not for me. Earth boy doing Earth things. 24-7. You know it. Living that Earth life. 365. Yeah, that's how many days our Earth year has. Or as I just call it, our year. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, other band name did you have? Ah, speaking of Nordic metal bands, this band's name was taken from the title of a Crocus song. I believe Ooh. they were a Swiss band? Yes, they were. Anyway, that is Screaming in the Night. Ooh. Sorry. Screaming in the Night. Okay, now you're going Venom. <laughs> well, that's kind of my only... Metal voice? Metal voice, yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I think it's funny that Crocus is the name of a pretty flower. Yeah, well, they spell it with a K, which gives oh, it a real... the toughest a hard, of flowers. hard edge. Yeah. I gotta say, of our options, I think my favorite is Miracle Monster. How about you? It does have a nice alliterative ring to it. Maybe we should go with that. All right. Miracle Monster it is. Let me write that down. They just do like monster magnet covers, but better. That's why they're Miracle Monster. Better than Monster Magnet? What? <laughs> Corey, I think Monster Magnet's bad at music. Uh-huh. I don't like them. Yeah? Yep. Now one guy's got a mustache. You like mustaches? I do like mustaches. Okay, they're the best. <laughs> <laughs> that was easy. Corey, what did you have as your pie not made out of steel in this issue? What words did you like best, much like you would like a pie, if that pie were not made out of steel? There was a uh, bit of exposition on page 12 describing what it feels like when Damon first starts having his uh, existential heart attack. Hmm. Razor-tipped fingers of pain dig deep into his heart, slamming him down like a weightless doll. Pretty good. Sounds awful. Yeah, where are you going to find a weightless doll? Where are you going to find razor fingers inside your own heart? I mean, inside your own heart. I mean, you know where you're going to find them. It tells you right there. I chose that as my favorite words because it just would never have occurred to me mm. to say something like that. It just sounds so <laughs> fucking gnarly. Yeah, that is a tough time for this guy. I think that's a great choice. I went with... A choice that is, I think, a subtle callback to one of Miracle Man's early appearances. As I said, he first showed up in Fantastic Four number three, and back then he was just a hypnotist slash stage magician. When he gets his powers back, he says, The ceremony has stirred something in the deepest caverns of my being, washed the blindness from my eyes. I, I, I remember. The specific language choice in there, I think, is a pretty subtle callback to the fact that the first time the Fantastic Four defeated him, they defeated him by blinding him. The Human Torch made a really bright light, and because his powers relied on him making eye contact with people, it rendered him powerless. Which is another reminder, you should never make eye contact with anyone. It's the creepiest power. I'm making eye contact with people? Like, as your source of power, if that's the source of it? Right, like Jericho gets that, this guy gets that. Yeah. Albino baboons probably get that. No thank you. No thank you on any score. All of them. 
all the scores, no. Exactly. <laughs> Emphatically. <laughs> love, love. That's the score. That means nothing, nothing. Oh, that's a tennis talk, it's huh? tennis talk all day long, buddy. This has been Tennis Talk All Day Long with Hub and Corey. <laughs> Bringing you the latest news in Earth Tennis. Love, love. Mmm, gotta love that love, love. Like a freshly popped can of new tennis balls. <laughs> it smells good. Mmm, smell those fresh balls. <laughs> I think we are both in agreement that the Hulk rules, although he does not appear in this issue. What are the Hulk's rules? So the Hulk took a page from Damon's book, Mm. which is something that Damon, I think, later, like after this issue, realized. And it's that probably people who say things in one of your first conversations with them after, you know, shortly after having met them. People who say things like, I have a tendency to dive into the great mysteries, like at the drop of a hat, are probably jerks. Yeah. And you should just steer clear. I bet Brother Joshua probably has some glasses that don't have any lenses in them. Oh. Brings his typewriter to the bar. Yeah. I think that's an excellent rule for the Hulk. I had him also laying down a rule that Damon would do well to follow, and that is... Never tell someone how fun you think their job is. Mm. There's a, like a more subtle version of that, which is usually people actually meaning really well when they say, oh, that sounds really interesting. Mm. I think that's an okay thing to say. It is, but... I mean, it's a nothing of a statement, but it's a useful placeholder. It just, it puts you in that awkward position of, like, do I tell them the truth? Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, so... Damon's basically saying, like, yeah, I think I just want to live here and be one of you guys. Your life is so simple, yet so fulfilling. And Father Gossett straight up tells him, like, don't let a moment's peace fool you, child. You can retreat here, but you can't hide. You have to live side by side with your brother monks, dealing with each other's complex personalities and all-too-human foibles. Hey, let's go. Exactly. One of them's always listening to that album way too loud. I wish we could get a record player to take a vow of silence, am Uh, I right? All in all, it's a microcosm of the world outside. The pressures can be every bit as powerful here. Like, he basically tells him, like, dude, don't get it fucking twisted. It sucks everywhere. Life is life, okay? And I think that's a lesson that Damon would do well to learn and that the Hulk has learned. Never tell someone else how fun you think their job probably is. Or their life. And that's the Hulk's rules. Also, tractor repair is probably harder than you think it is. Mm-hmm. Do you think he might be using his Satan power to heal the tractor? No. Really? I bet he uses that shit for everything. No, I really just think he was he's banging on the side of the engine <laughs> with a wrench. <laughs> dum, dum, dum. I bet he's banging on the side of it with a wrench and then magicking it. And then probably after he leaves, that tractor is going to be like a Christine situation. Oh, jeez. The car, not a lady. Yeah, I know. know. The car kills people. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. I watch movies. Oh, Corey, I was talking about the book. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Let's go hang out with Joshua. (laughs) Oh. Well, Corey, I have just one more question I have to ask you. In... The year of our Lord, 1983, and the month of our Lord, June, 
What Wong doings was Wong doing? Wong is holed up in his room, hiding out with some big-ass headphones connected to his hi-fi, listening to a record that he bought. Had to go all the way to Germany to get it. It came out on June 16th, and it was uh, Ringo Starr's record, Old Wave. Oh. Which he didn't even really like that much, but he needed to get away from fucking Steve. Yeah. Because the day prior, Black Adder had premiered, and Steve fucking loves him some Rowan Atkinson and wouldn't stop going around the house talking in some kind of, you know, British-accented Shakespearean English jokey Rowan Atkinson mashup, and Wong couldn't fucking handle it. It's like, I would rather listen to Joe Walsh playing guitar, singing backups on a Ringo Starr record. Is that the album that has the song, Don't You Go Where the Roads Don't Go? Because I remember you quoting that a lot. I don't think it, I don't think it is. I looked up the names of the songs on it, but I don't know the name of that song. (laughs) I mean, either way, good advice. Yeah. Don't go where the road don't go. Well, that may be one thing that Wong was up to, but it's not the only thing that Wong was up to that year, and it wasn't the only thing that Wong was up to that involved Germany and Steve. Really? Really. See, Wong had been trying to bridge the gap that he had sensed forming between Namor and Steve lately. Mm. Like, those two, they have strong personalities, and sometimes they clash, but deep down they are friends and they like each other. So Wong was like, you know what would be good? We'll just have a nice day out where we can spend some time with each other, but we won't have to talk too much. Let's go see a movie. Mm. So Wong was a little bit surprised at how quickly Steve and Namor agreed on what movie they wanted to see. So they went to the local Cineplex, and they went in and started watching the latest James Bond movie. And after it had been playing a few minutes... Both Namor and Steve stood up and were like, What is this shit? This isn't what I wanted to see. And Wong is like, "Uh, Guys, look, Roger Moore has been the new James Bond for nearly a decade now. And Steve was like, Oh, yes, that's why I was upset that this movie Octopussy wasn't what I thought it was. And Namor's like, Yes, Imperious? Rex, I just like that Scottish guy better. <laughs> and so they had to leave the theater because they had both stood up and yelled that they were disappointed by what appeared on the screen when they went and saw the movie Octopussy. Makes sense. So they had to find another movie to watch. Mm. Wong's like, well, a uh, new movie, Tra- Training Places, just came out. It was uh, June 8th. Namor's like, hmm, yes, uh, I remember seeing Jamie Lee Curtis in Prom Night. I think I would watch that film. And Steve is dead set against it. And Wong's like, you're still pissed at Dan Aykroyd, aren't you? And Steve's like, yes, I saw his latest film last month, Dr. Detroit. That man was not a medical doctor. (laughs) Only movies about medical doctors should have the word doctor in the title. This is Dr. Strangelove all over again. Oh, boy. And so they couldn't see Trading Places. They're not going to see Dr. Detroit again. And so Steve's like, you know what we could watch? And Wong's like, no, it was too scary for you. You, We're not going through this again. And Steve's like, they just re-released it in Germany. And Wong's like, fine. So Steve teleported them all to Germany, where they could all watch 
Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which had finally been released in Germany <laughs> after being released in America three years prior. And it scared the shit out of Steve, oh, and he was up all night. And that's the Wong doings that Wong was doing in June of 1983. Do you remember watching Attack of the Killer Tomatoes the first time? When you were just mentioning it, I immediately got the visual of the guy holding the sheet music for puberty love uh-huh. <laughs> like marching towards the tomato <laughs> there were some very funny scenes in that movie i do not think i would want to watch it again i think that there is probably enough shit in it that i would just be like very like ooh, no yeah but I do remember the scene with the Master of Disguise wearing a giant tomato costume that is not at all convincing, sitting around, trying to blend in, and eating a human leg and saying, so you guys got any ketchup? And then immediately getting eaten, I remember thinking, mm-hmm. pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And the sequel, I know, had uh, John Aston from the Adams Family TV show and a young George Clooney in it. Really? Yeah. You know they made a cartoon out of that? Attack of the Killer Tomato? Yeah, they made an Attack of the Killer Tomato cartoon in the 90s. Jeez. They made cartoons out of everything. It's berserk what they went to for licensed properties during that time. Yeah. Like Like, Rambo. People just ran out of ideas for a minute. I think they just figured, well, hell, let's try everything. There was a Happy Days cartoon that had time-traveling Fonzie and a talking dog. I don't like it. I would kind of like to watch that. I don't think I've so. never seen it. Oh. You don't. You don't like time travel, or you don't like Fonzie. Uh, I just want the talking dog. You don't like the talking dog? No, I want the talking dog. Nothing. None of the other stuff. You don't want Fonzie. You don't want time travel. Right. Fair enough. It's I don't right. know if you heard this though, Corey, but the Fonz is cool. Yeah. There's a pillow to that effect, if memory serves. Yeah. Yeah, it's a pillow with a picture of Fonzie that said "The Fonz is cool" on it. Good to know. Never argue with a pillow, Corey. You're not going to win. No. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Corey, I had a great time talking with you about this comic and a bunch of other shit. Me too. We'll be back next week to talk some new Teen Titans. In the meantime, if you'd like to get into touch with us, we can be reached at ttwasteland at gmail.com or at our post office box at Tighten Up the Defense, P.O. Box 20311, Portland, Oregon 97294. We're also up on the socials media sometimes. You can look for us there. If you can't find us there, there is one more place you can look. And that's deep inside your heart. Corey, what are you going to be doing in people's hearts this week? Gosh, probably taking it easy. You know, I've been so busy lately doing so many things. I think I would like to kick back on the couch and have a cold beer, maybe read an old comic book, and eat some, I don't know, oatmeal cookies. Ooh, oatmeal cookies, pretty good. You got raisins in those fuckers? Uh, I'm going to do chunks of dark chocolate and um, cranberries, maybe. Mm, or some th- candy ginger. Oh, the thinking man's raisin. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. A little spicy. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a hell of a cookie, Corey, and a hell of a good time. Thank you. I am going to be reading... The second George Kennedy detective novel in people's hearts this week. Of course you are. Finish the first one. <laughs> what a ride. And uh, yeah, looking forward to Murder on High, I think it's called. Mm. 
you'd think people would stop putting George Kennedy in movies after so many people died on the sets of them, but apparently that didn't happen. That's like a an omen. I, I think that's more than an omen. Do not make this movie. <laughs> I mean, it's not like somebody saw an owl and was like, that's bad luck. I think getting murdered is a sign of bad luck in every culture. Oh, an omen is just a bird. Well, it doesn't have to be a bird. It's it's a portent of ill things to come. Oh, I think once there's a murder, the, the ill thing has already that's come. That's the ill thing. Yeah, I would think. Okay. But I mean, we may have different standards. Maybe the murder is a sign that a bird's coming. <laughs> Probably so, a better sign that a bird's already huh. been there. They're all so not not an omen then, but like a like a hey, stop doing this shit right now because yeah. people are dying. Yeah, whatever the word for that is, uh, bellwether. Yeah, that's a bellwether to stop making this movie. <laughs> yeah, idiot. <laughs> Come on, dumbos. If you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can check us out at Patreon.com/slash TTWasteland. If you do. There's a bunch of stuff up there that is a thank you for your generosity. There is the podcast, What the Duck, a podcast most foul but with a W, because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That's the Howard the Duck podcast I co-host with Lisa. There is a bevy of videos about classic comics that I have made. And there's a bunch of other stuff, too. Probably just misused the word bevy. This means a lot, right? Yeah, but I feel like in terms of uh, grammatical placement in the sentence, I might have uh, been a little bit off. That's a very, it's a human mistake. Well, that's me. Human as the day is long. Mm -hmm. That's what it says on my business card. You know, Corey, I think if I had one weakness as an employee, it would be that I am a human man from Earth. I thought your business card said, we talked about it in the last episode, something, something, smart, smart, oh. <laughs> I have a lot of business cards printed up, Corey. Okay. They're embossed. Oh. There's a watermark. Yeah? Yeah. These, these are all words. <laughs> Speaking of words, if people would like to support the show in a non-monetary way, how would you suggest that they do that, Corey? Perhaps using some of these vaunted words of yours. Oh, not just mine. I mean, you could use your own. Oh. In fact, that would probably be best. And what you could use them for are to leave a review wherever you have gotten the podcast. It's probably a good place to do it. Mm. Or just Google or search for how do you leave a review for a podcast? And it'll come up and then you can say something like, I like this podcast a lot. <laughs> you should listen to it five stars. I think that sounds like a great plan. And if you're having difficulty learning how to leave a review, why not consult your local library? They're a great resource for learning all about podcasts and reviews and, I don't know, the difference between zucchettos and yarmulkes. Yep. That's my five-star review of libraries, Corey. Yep. Yeah, you know what? Four stars. Huh. Just because we're a little bit better. Uh, we're not better than libraries. Geez. Libraries are the fucking best. It's a tie. <laughs> all right, five and five. Uh, the other thing you could do is talk to somebody about the review you just left. It's like, oh my gosh, you guys, I never leave reviews, but the show brought me so much joy that I was compelled to do so. Mm. And here's what I wrote. And maybe you would like to listen to it too. Yeah. Friend, exactly. Neighbor. Countryman, Roman, lend me your ear and I'll put my earbud in it and you can listen to this podcast. That's what Shakespeare would have said if he was alive today. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. 
friend Roman Countryman, lend me your ear. Yeah, I'll no, put no, an earbud yeah, in yeah, 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 and yeah. then yeah, I'll play this podcast because it. it's five stars, like a library, like a five star library. So much knowledge, just like Shakespeare. Beautiful. Two men from Earth, <laughs> just chatting, just shooting the Earth shit. You yeah, know, yeah, just gabbing it up. Like a couple of, uh, who's that Earth guy? Shakespeare's. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, a lot of people think he was the original rapper. <laughs> nope. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> and they knew it. what would you say are your best and worst qualities as an employee? Well, frankly, it's one and the same. It's my tall boots and tight Speedo.